if you if an identity is being projected onto you reject that and be who you are and who you want to be the world has never been changing more rapidly dislocating the ways we work learn and live on the learning future podcast we discuss the knowledge skills and dispositions we all need for our learning future exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hi, and welcome to the Learning Future Podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and today it's my delight to be speaking with Arya Mogos. Arya is a futurist fellow in the Stanford D School K-12 Lab, where she designs prototypes with K-12 educators around how to engage, evaluate, and create with emerging technologies. Crucially, technologies that are then grounded in ethics and digital agency. She's currently working on a set of play-based analog resources focused on machine learning, blockchain, the internet of things, IoT, and other tech. And she's a constructivist educator passionate about computing, amongst many other things. Uh, She's worked at the intersection of education, technology, equity, and play in the United States, Asia, Africa, and Europe. She's very much a global citizen. And she holds a, a Bachelor of Science from Cornell University and a Master of Arts from Columbia University in Human Rights and Global Development. Ariam, it's so great to be speaking with you again. Thank you so much, Luca. I'm so happy to be here. It's great. I mean, the world has changed a lot since we were hanging out at the D school together. Um, And a lot of that has been, you know, pretty horrifying, but there's also been lots of learning opportunities for all of us. And so I want to start there. What is something that you've learned recently? I think I would say I've had an opportunity to learn a lot over the last year, I think I've, what I'm particularly excited about learning is just how to be with myself. Um, Mm. I've been, I've always been a pretty, I'd say, independent person uh, and I've done really, you know, well with alone time, but this has been a very different experience where, um, you know, I've uh, spent a lot of uh, time by myself traveling. So before COVID, I spent the last couple of years traveling a lot Um, Just in 2019, I was uh, in Kenya and South Africa and Egypt and China and Hong Kong and uh, and Portugal. And I I got to travel a lot. And I'm really fortunate that I had those experiences. Um, And I did did well, really well traveling on my own. Um, And this is really different to be home um, and not have as many distractions and and distractions being travel. Um, it's, it's given me an opportunity to be with myself, um, just reflect on different aspects of my life. And it's been such a good opportunity uh, to do some of the work on myself that I, that I haven't had a chance to do in the past. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, I'm really learning how to be with myself yeah. um, in one place with no distractions, <sighs> which a lot of people are facing right now. It's a really profound starting point, Ariam, I think, for the work that you do, the work that we do. Uh, and it reminds me of a quote from Blaise Pascal. and says, most of humanity's problems come from our inability to sit in a room alone with ourselves. And it's, I mean, that's been one of the themes is so many of us around the world have been at home. Uh, and that can, you know, mean deeper connections than ever with family, or it can mean, you know, for so many young people in particular, and 20s and 30s, quite a lonely existence. Um, of course, the other big theme is, is how critical digital technologies and emerging tech have been in our lives during this period. I mean, the great acceleration, you know, as McKinsey talks about it or Scott Galloway, you know, the idea that everything just, we advanced 10 years in six weeks. 
in terms of some of the trends around adoptions of technology. Um, so take us into this world and, you know, interweave it as much as you like between the kind of personal and professional. Uh, but what is it that you've been working on and what do you see right now as the really big challenges and opportunities? Yeah, I think I'll start with the, with the serious challenges that we're seeing, um, especially in education around COVID. Yeah. And there are a lot of students who, um, I mean, COVID has been very disruptive for educators, schools, administrators, students, families, teachers globally. Um, but it's clear that certain students have advantages and opportunities and others don't. Um, and technology is playing a huge role in carving out those opportunities. Uh, you know, we're seeing um, schools and um, uh, families and students who are able to create pods and communities for themselves. You know, these are high resource um, these are families with lots of resources, um, schools with lots of resources who are able to just hop on a Zoom. Um, they have classrooms with very few students. Um, they can still sort of personalize the learning for those students. Mm. Um, and at the same time, we're seeing other students who don't have access to those technologies because uh, they're not, they're not um, coming from the same socioeconomic status. Um, and so those students are not... Um, uh, they're at home and they're not provided with the same learning opportunities and their teachers and administrators and schools um, are struggling to meet those needs. And that's really unfortunate. I think there's, there's a lot of gaps there. There's the, the, the one around connectivity and the internet, yeah. which really needs to just be a public utility. Um, there's the gap around supporting teachers around how to use digital technologies um, um, and how to design with them to make learning effective um, and then there's just also the clear, um, the clear sign that this is a serious gap in, in equitable learning experiences um, that needs to be met. So I think like that's quite alarming actually that uh, this gap exists. And I think we have to start thinking about, you know, when hopefully this moment passes, we can't go back to business as usual. These are yeah. gaps that have to be addressed uh, fairly urgently. Mm, I, it, I've heard it expressed, you know, that the, the achievement gap or the resource gap became a full-blown access gap when you couldn't physically turn up into a school. Because that is one thing that, of course, the care aspect of school, that, you know, it is a place where people convene, uh, means that there was, as long as you could get to that school, you know, you were within a particular environment that was, you know, largely safe um, and intentional with adults, uh, and of course, that that shift, you know, as soon as we went full remote in many parts of the world, and at, the, at its height, the OECD was saying 1.6 billion learners out of school, uh, which is almost the entire world. Um, you know, this equity challenge, I think, it's a great it's a great comment from a previous guest on this podcast, Valerie Hannon. She she says, you know, crises disrupt, but they also reveal, and it just revealed things that. Some of us knew to be true, but many of us were also completely un unconscious about. So, how do how do we move forward? How do we actually, you know, beyond the rhetoric of building back better? What do you think is required to actually make sure that you know the internet as a public utility, for example, that's a really powerful idea. Like it's just everyone can then therefore access you know the incredible amount of information uh, and learning therefore that exists. But yeah. what are some of those, yeah, what are the conditions we need to, 
to try yeah. to solve this? I mean, I think that's just one one piece of it. Um, I think that education exists within a larger system where there's a lot of structural inequity mm. that's, as you said, being um, amplified and we're seeing a lot more clearly right now. So how are we contending with that? Uh, how are we thinking about all the other structural inequities, um, especially for non-dominant communities who are really being affected uh, by COVID? Mm. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's a big part of the puzzle um, that you know, we can't sort of disassociate or think is a separate issue. It's all interconnected. Um, and they, all of these pieces need to be addressed equally. So I think, um, I think that's a, a really, uh, I think I, I, I want to really underscore that. Mm. Um, I think also just thinking about education, some of the work that we're doing at the D school is around um, emerging technologies. And I think I think one thing that um, is coming to light through all of this is that technology is increasingly going to play a very important role in every aspect of life. Um, I mean, the, the great thing I think is we've realized that human connection is still critical, yeah. right? Human connection is so important. Um, and I Maybe think the foundation think, for everything. Yeah. 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 It's a foundation. And I think like that has brought me so much joy in a time where, to be honest, I'm not a, I'm really not a techno, um, you know, I love technology, but I am still skeptical of technology in many ways. And I'm not a techno enthusiast, mm. um, especially the way that technology is, you know, has been uh, designed and deployed um, historically in certain contexts. Um, and even the way that we sort of uh, promoted as this all encompassing solution for mm. the fourth industrial revolution and, and, you know, jobs. And like, yes, I think that, yeah, there will be future STEM jobs, of course, like that is part of the future. I, but at the same time, I think um, we have to be sort of careful about how we talk about technology um, in education and, um, and how, and, and, you know, and how students and young people uh, learn about technology and how they use it. Um, mm. And the, t the different types of access that different students have. So I think um, to go back to the COVID example, uh, students who in higher socioeconomic statuses, you know, often have opportunities where um, they get to be creative. They get to use technology in a very project-based way. Um, it's very uh, inquiry-based. Whereas technology for students who are not in that, you know, sort of income, class, race bracket, um, the technology is sort of, it's, it's, it's actually looks more like rote learning, um, unfortunately. It's uh, the way that uh, students are uh, the, the, essentially like their digital identities and practices aren't necessarily encouraged in the classroom. And so I think about uh, what does that look like in the future? Um, who sort of becomes, when we think about emerging technologies, who sort of becomes the creator of these technologies? Like these technologies are modeled, uh, you know, after whose mind? And Ruha Benjamin talks about this in her book, Race After Technology. And then who becomes the, who ends up becoming the sort of um, just builders of the technology where things are passed down to them, um, you know, in a very mechanical way? 
mm. um, like factory workers. And so yeah. this is a dynamic that I'm personally very, very concerned about mm. um, because it's a dynamic that already is kind of exists now when it comes to STEM education. Um, and I think, you know, with the, you know, with where um, STEM education is going uh, and the, you know, the, the, the way in which emerging technologies are, are sort of proliferating, it's something that I'm really thinking about. Mm. What do you think, um, what are some tangible examples that you would give in this world? I mean, the background context to this is a lot of the work of, well, many organizations, but, you know, the Center for Humane Technology is one, the idea of the extraction economy or the idea actually that many powerful technologies that can help us to create a better world are also just used to extract value from us because of the way that it's been built into the kind of economic models around us, be that, you know, the big advertising companies, Facebook and Google, for example. You know, as the old saying goes, if it's free, you are the product, <laughs> which is a, a powerful way to think about it. But, you know, what, what, are, what are some tangible shifts? Like with, and if we choose any of the different technologies that exist, blockchain, IoT, machine learning, um, how do we actually create a way to support, you know, schools, educators, learners, administrators uh, to really f use the amazing power of technology in a way where they are, it can be a full, it can be self-expression um, in a way where they are designing with um, and from as, a, as opposed to kind of being given a particular tool? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think that to start with, um, the overemphasis on everyone learning how to code. Everyone has to be a coder. I think that is, uh, it, we're not building a more humane society or a more just society um, by promoting that everyone needs to learn how to code. I think where we can really start is making sure that all young people understand the concepts underpinning a lot of these emerging technologies and the, the role these technologies have within our society. Mm. What, how are these technologies shaping our society? What are the benefits? What are the uh, negative implications yeah. and harms? Who's being harmed? Why are certain communities being harmed more than others? So if we're looking at predictive policing software, if we're, going, if we're looking at sentencing algorithms, you know, why are black and brown communities being uh, the, the ones who are predominantly being affected. Mm. So I think like making sure that we look at technology, not just as the code, learning how to code, but let's look at the, the historical context of now and in the past and the future of technology. I think that's really, really critical. Um, and I think that uh, another really critical piece is really um, promoting participation in many ways. So some students might want to be computer scientists and they might want to learn how to code. And that's great. Some other students, there may be other avenues into um, uh, how they relate to technology. And one of the most critical gaps that I personally see is around legislation and advocacy and um, politics and government. Mm. So we have a huge gap in how the technology industry is regulated right now. Um, you know, there are a lot of politicians who don't understand, you know, or they claim not to understand how, um, you know, the code works or how technology works. And so I think, um, you know, and, and that's a really powerful position to be in because writing legislation can protect people from the harm 
that some of you know some of these uh, uh, corporations are causing um, or creating. Um, and you know, some of this harm again, it's not. Uh, some of it is not intentional. This yeah. is just when there's when there's nothing in place, right? To um, to sort of um, you know, it, it's not like the pharmacy. It's the thing is, you, if you look at other industries like the pharmaceutical industry, mm. the right um, and the gambling industry, they have checks and balances in place, right? Because you're dealing with humans, and you need to understand. Okay, you have to do clinical trials and testing. Like, what kind of harm could this cause? Technology is really not that different, but we yeah. don't, there no, there's nothing in place. So I think we have to start thinking about um, the role that the law has to play in, um, uh, in, in the technology that we use, because technology does affect us. We get socially attached to technology, right? Um, it, it has um, uh, emotional, mental uh, effects on us, sometimes physical effects. So I think it's not any different than other industries yet. It is completely, it's allowed, you know, to sort of, uh, be completely arranged. Experiment (laughs) kind of with the open test bed of, you know, communities and societies and kids as well. Um, I mean, I just thought of the, you know, the like button as a really good example of something that was, you know, created with a kind of positive intent, I suppose, you know, it was oh, this would be good. It'll you know, people will be able to upvote something, and then of course, it kind of the impact that that had was actually people. Uh, if you didn't get enough, light, it became this competitive aspect where it actually had a negative impact on overall well-being, particularly for young people. Um, Snapchat is another great example. The Snapchat streaks. Mm-hmm. Can you? And for those of you know us that don't know about this, but. It's like, can you send a message to one of your friends within 24 hours and can they respond within 24 hours and you keep that going? And, you know, young people in school, I don't know, I don't know if it's still a feature, but it, it was causing such an unbelievable impact because effectively you were, if you missed that streak, you felt terrible about it. You were quite literally addicted to this, um, this particular feature on a particular platform. And so I, I agree with you. I think it, what, what is missing here is, is intentional design in the best interests of users. Um, so, t- take us on a roadmap. Um, like, if you're in a if you're in a school community right now, like, w- what do you need to do? Because these these are pretty high concepts. Zach, we need to transform society and put legislation in place. <laughs> they all might be true, but what are we? What do, what can we do tomorrow about this? You know, to use the most powerful technologies we've ever invented but in a way that actually helps people be seen and heard and valued um, yeah. and also dismantle some of the problems we have structurally uh, with these tech. Um, yeah. And, and of course, not all of this falls on, you know, this responsibility does not fall on educators and school <laughs> districts. You yeah. know, this falls on our leaders and our politicians and, you know, other, other, you know, different aspects of our system. Yeah. I think, um, I think one really tangible way to start is just broadening the way we think even about tech and, and computer science and education. Uh, so I think uh, we tend to teach computer science in a silo. Mm. Uh, how can we, how can we um, you know, expose young people to computer science in a much more interdisciplinary way? Yeah. So uh, instead of... Uh, you know, designing experiences where students learn to code just to code. Maybe they're, uh, you know, as an educator, we're designing experiences 
that uh, supports students' other passions. And maybe that's in, you know, based on a time period, you know, in history yeah. or an English project or an art project. And computing is the vehicle that they use to express that passion. Mm. Uh, and learning how to code is just a byproduct. It's not the focus. Um, I think that's one tangible way to start. And there's examples of that. So, and, and again, that still can be challenging because you're thinking about these two, what seem like very, very diff different disciplines. Like, okay, how do I merge these? And again, I think leading with um, students' interests and their passions to make things that are meaningful to them. Um, and I think like, you know, finding opportunities in uh, the humanities and the arts is a good place to start. Mm, that's a great, it's a great way to think about it. You know, what's the learning we need to do? What tools can we then bring in for that? And I think so often, you know, well-intentioned perhaps, but we've just got that the wrong way around. It's like, oh, cool, here's a new shiny innovation, right? Um, let's do something with it. It's like, well, actually, what is the deep intent here that, that we want? Uh, and of course, you know, like what, it's not just about the skill or the knowledge. Increasingly, you know, at global levels, we're all talking about what's the character or what's the dispositions um, that, we, that we need for to really that already exist in humanity but actually have have not been fully drawn out i think you know character education for example you know empathy meets compassion for example you know and i know that the work the work at the d school so much baked in empathy it's the starting point it's like what impact will this have on others around me can i understand that can i feel that and then design is different um potentially yeah um, Exactly. What, what do you think? Oh, yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah. No, no, I was going to just share, um, just to build on that, uh, we are going to be launching a project very soon called Rep, which is a student facing magazine um, that cool. has a couple of different issues that, uh, that supports them to explore different emerging technologies uh, in a hands on project way. Nice. And um, it's really about supporting them to think about you know, positionality and uh, intention and, uh, you know, what design means um, and uh, helping them really reflect on themselves as technology creators. Mm. So we're really excited for that to come out because it's, uh, it embeds a lot of what we're talking about right now. Yeah. I mean, this, this idea of, I know it's a false dichotomy, but consumption versus creation and even if we just were look at, you know, a classroom, a school, even a company, frankly, as well, right? In this kind of, we're not in the knowledge economy anymore. We're in the creative economy, perhaps even the learning economy, right? Because it's through learning that we contribute um, more powerfully over time. So what would you say about the balance between consumption and creation? Because, you know, all powerful learning, if we all think about the best moments we've had, we made something usually with others or we performed something or we built something, we showed it to someone else. You know, and so much of the work at the D, of course, is like, is this idea of, hey, look, look at what we built and let's make it better together. So what's your reflection on that? You know, because I think still in big systems, you know, young people are the recipients of education, not the co-constructors of yeah. learning. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think there's always going to be some level of or some amount of, consumption. I think it depends on, is it, are you consuming something because it's being forced on you and you're having to consume it? 
or um, I, I would rather frame it or think of it as mm. I'm really passionate about something and I want to learn more about this. And I've found, you know, an author that uh, is writing about this and I want to read, you know, their first two books. Yeah. Um, and it's, is that consumption or is that learning? Right. Um, that's, that's learning. And yeah, Purpose, it's a form of consumption. Yeah. Purposeful so, consumption as opposed to mindless, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Or like passion led. Right. Yeah, and nice. I think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's healthy. It's, mm. it's how we also build our own knowledge and ideas, right. On the, on what we learn from others. Yeah. So I think um, that's a natural part of learning, of course, but I think if when it's constantly forced on us, that's, that's not, uh, that's not, not going to yeah. yeah, empower us. Um, if we have this conversation, which I hope we do in 10 years, um, and maybe, you know, I, I can go back to Palo Alto, we can hang out and, you know, grab a Starbucks or something. What, what do you hope the future of education is? What do you hope has changed in schools? You know, like if you look and you have a beautiful vantage point there at, at, the, at the D school at Stanford, like because you get to see all the transdisciplinary, you get to see the people that are kind of building other parts of, of the education ecosystem. Like, what do you think the features of that system are? How would you describe the school of 2030? Oh, wow. That's quite a question. No, it's a small one. You know, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would say that I really, um, my hope is that the lived experiences and perspectives and the way that different students think are really respected and represented. I think... Um, in school and beyond. I think there are a lot of um, communities whose way of thinking, um, whose beliefs, whose practices are just oppressed. Um, they're not respected, they're not represented, um, and there's constant barriers that are put in place uh, to just prevent that expression. And I, I hope that uh, the future of schools is a safe space where all students, no matter what their background is, however you want to define that, mm. all have, um, are all, yeah, are, are, there's, there's no blockage um, and it's a safe space to express themselves fully. And then, you know, when that happens, I think we will see more equitable technologies because all of yeah. us will show up in the way they're designed and all of us will show up in the way other aspects of our society are designed. Mm. Um, so that's, I guess, my ultimate hope. I, I love this idea of, um, you know, and it really is not just what you do, but who you are, you know, as like this intersection of all these different domains, right? Technology, education, equity, play, global citizenship, you know, governance, right? Industrial relations, whatever it is. Um, mm. So I really like this idea of bringing, kind of dissolving some of the old lines that we've put around things and realizing actually well, these things must be integrated in a powerful way. And I think great projects do that in schools, uh, in companies, you know, ultimately everything is a project if we're building something, a product, a service, an assignment, whatever. Um, I'd love you to leave us, um, Ariam, with... You know, a take-home message that for you, you think, you know, what should we be paying attention to here in 2021 um, that might help us to get to that 
that vision of the future that you've just provided? Yeah, I think the one thing I would say is um, if you if an identity is being projected onto you, reject that and be who you are and who you want to be. Uh, I think like they're like being rebellious. I wouldn't even call it rebellious. Just being who you are um, and not um, and fighting against that projection. Um, and also that form of gatekeeping mm. is really, really important to make sure that we can all participate. We're all in the room and uh, that can be really hard, but I think it's really important. Wow. A beautiful place to finish uh, our conversation. Ariam, thank you so much for spending some time on the Learning Future podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Luca. This was amazing. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.